America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in a uh, foot. Good morning, America. You are listening to Percolating Perspective, the podcast that offers you some perspective on America. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Today on Percolating Perspective, we give you the unknown traumatic upbringing and star-studded finish to one man's life that would change American culture forever. We have got a very exciting show for you today, and this story is going to blow your mind and possibly bring you to tears. It almost brought me to tears just writing the thing. So stick with me. You do not want to miss this show. It's going to be great. But first, let's hit the percolator. All right, so today's coffee, we're actually going back to the first coffee we ever tried on the show, coming from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, Nicaragua, SHG Cafe Diego. This is the light to medium blend that I am talking about today and trying today, and we're gonna pop it in our drip here, our Stanley drip that we worked on last week. I have refined the process a little bit more, so I think we're a little bit ahead of the game here, but I have also gone ahead and heated up my water first so you don't have to listen to that. But we're gonna go ahead and add our grounds in. And right right out of the gate, the grounds are, they are warm smelling, they are almost sweet smelling. They are just a very, it's a great smelling coffee. Go ahead and get that around. So in doing some research on this also over the past week uh, after last week's episode, um, we put the grounds in, we make it nice and even around the drip pan. And essentially what that does is it of course makes it even, but whenever you first put the water in, it makes the grounds kind of puff up. And that is called blooming. And it kind of helps set the grounds in place so that there's not a lot of movement while you're trying to pour but we got the grounds all situated now we're going to just quickly bloom it there we go get them set in place where they need to be perfect oh man do you hear that It is gently going down. I got some grounds here on my desk. Get that cleaned up. Oh man, it smells so good. This coffee, I have never had a bad cup of coffee from Hemisphere, but this particular blend, I I believe is one of their best sellers and for good reason. This coffee, when you brew it, everybody, I, I have had several people try this and I've ordered bags for people and without fail, they always love it. And they, you know, it's just a great, great cup of coffee. Nicaragua SHG. The SHG meaning strictly high grown. So that means that the coffee was grown above, I think it's 2,000 feet above sea level. Uh, which directly, somehow, don't ask me how, I'm not, a, I'm not a rocket surgeon, but somehow that affects the flavor of it. And makes it a more warm and more natural tasting coffee, if that makes sense. So, if we can get this to come through. A 
I will say the drip does take time. And I think my grounds, I think that's the same problem I had last week is the grounds are just a little too small and they're getting stuck in the, getting stuck in the filter. There we go. Received quite a bit of feedback from the last show for the drip of the day. And the overarching, <laughs> the overarching theme was, um, hey, I'm 10 minutes into the show and you're still talking about the stupid dripper. Fair point. But it is percolating perspective. I think I need to practice some more. But if I gotta suffer through it, you do too, right? All right. We're getting very close here. I'm starting to see light at the end of the funnel. <laughs> Zing. desk is very noisy today. I don't know why that is. All right, get that sitting there. All right, now let's get our sip. Whew. That is excellent. That is, it's good just in a typical paper filter coffee machine, but whenever you're making coffee the way God intended, which is, um, just a, with an open press like this, um, it's wonderful. And this coffee, really, you get the chance you get the, get the chance to pull out all the flavors that you're that oftentimes you you miss with a, a you know just a typical Mister Coffee Maker. Uh, this is man, I it's got it, it's it's got a good acidity, you know. So not um, it's not super acidic. It doesn't bite you, um, but it also has some citrusy uh, kind of taste to it as well. So it's a very good cup of coffee. I highly recommend it for any time of the year, but springtime in particular, um, it's, it's a great, great cup. Mm, 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 mm. All right, that's good. All right, so let's now get to the story for this week. Around 1920, Elsie Moore would marry a man by the name of William in Sprague, Pennsylvania. And right off the rip, the couple's marriage was stressed, it was rocky, and reason being is Elsie would later find out that William struggled with severe drunkenness and schizophrenia. And at 40 years old, Elsie would give birth to a son, and she named him Jesse. Jesse was frail, and he was skinny as a child and quickly became an introvert, and he was very shy. Reason being, his father was abusive and would frequently try to intimidate and terrorize little Jesse with a knife in his drunken stupor. Later on, though, much to the mixed feelings of the family, Jesse's father would die of pneumonia when Jesse was only 13 years old. This left his mother and his brothers and himself 
to take on and conquer the world on their own. Elsie, Jesse's mother, then purchased and ran a boarding house in Morgantown, West Virginia, which was not too far from where he was born, uh, where Jesse and his brothers would grow up and spend a lot of their time honestly trying to forget the traumatic childhood they had already endured to this point. Jesse and his brothers would eventually graduate high school in Morgantown. He had spent a lot of time during his high school days using ventriloquism as a way to deal with his introversion and his desire to be social, but in a private setting. As a result, Jesse would perform ventriloquism and stand-up comedy professionally at church events, school events, and other public settings in his hometown. In an attempt to make a lifelong career with this gift, Jesse took off for New York City and worked hard to make his career blossom. However, after quickly realizing that his career was sputtering and essentially blowing up on the launch pad, Jesse headed back home to West Virginia. There he would attend West Virginia University, where he would graduate in 1948 with a bachelor's degree in education with a minor in, of all things, speech. Little did he know that his minor would play a major role in his life. After his freshman year in college, he was drafted into the U.S. Army where he would be part of the Special Services Sector of the Army, in which he would entertain the troops uh, overseas, specifically in the Pacific Theater. Uh, but he would also become a part of the show called Stars and Gripes. There, Jesse would continue his ventriloquism with a dummy named Danny. After several shows with Danny experiencing technical difficulties, and being an uncomfortable uh, piece of equipment, Jesse began to outright hate Danny and eventually threw him overboard in the Pacific Ocean in a heat of rage. Though never seeing active battle, Jesse earned the World War II Victory Medal, the Philippine Liberation Medal, the Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal with four bronze service stars, the American Campaign Medal, the Army Good Conduct Medal, the Honorable Service lapel pin, and honestly to me, probably the most incredible and most interesting, and I want you to remember this one for later, the Army Marksman Badge with an M1 carbine. After the war had ended, Jesse moved back to New York, where he would marry Kay Metz and use the connections he was able to foster during his time in the service to finally get a foothold in New York show business. Jesse would get a job on television in which he performed in the soap opera called Search for Tomorrow from 1953 to 1955. What would become the most pivotal and groundbreaking moment in Jesse's life occurred on Broadway in New York City, and he had no idea it was coming. Although at the time it didn't seem to be a career-altering move, Jesse was awarded a part as an Air Force Corporal of Manual Dexterity as well as a preacher in a hit Broadway production called No Time for Sergeants. After enjoying this role from October of 1955 to September of 1957, Jesse would make his big movie debut with another up-and-coming comedian, Andy Griffith, in the motion picture of the same name, No Time for Sergeants. Jesse would then reprise his role from the Broadway production as the high-strung, easily frustrated Air Force test administrator in which Jesse's patience was tested by the never-forgettable Will Stockdale, and Jesse in this movie was credited by only his middle and last name, Don Knotts. 
After the movie's success, Don Knotts would be offered yet another project with Andy Griffith in his career-defining sitcom role, Barney Fife in The Andy Griffith Show. Now, a few minutes ago, I had you remember that Jesse earned uh, an Army Marksman badge with an M1 carbine. If you don't find that absolutely hilarious, you have never watched The Andy Griffith Show. And if you've never watched The Andy Griffith Show, turn off my podcast right now and go watch The Andy Griffith Show. The Museum of Broadcast Communications defines Deputy Barney Fife as this, quote, Self-important, romantic, nearly always wrong, Barney dreamed of the day that he could use the one bullet Andy had issued to him, though he did fire his gun on a few occasions. He always fired his pistol accidentally while still in his holster or in the ceiling of the courthouse, at which point he would sadly hand his pistol to Andy, end quote. Don Knotts would go on to perform in several Disney movies, such as The Apple Dumpling Gang, where he and Tim Conway portrayed a half-wit, accident-prone group of thieves that wind up accidentally nearly killing their previous crime boss, portrayed by Slim Pickens. He would also perform in Hot Lead and Cold Feet, The Shakiest Gun in the West, The Reluctant Astronaut, and probably his most remembered film, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Interestingly, the very hardships and terror that little Jesse experienced at the hands of his father drove him to introversion, helped him to craft the character that he would play in nearly all of his roles as an actor. Though Don was self-conscious as a young man about his skinny, seemingly wimpy persona, he used that perception to make a living, and little did he know directly influence American culture forever. The character, Barney, though he was oftentimes overzealous and easily excited, he always believed in and stuck to his principles. Oftentimes, his knee-jerk reactions would have unintended consequences, but his principles almost always were right. Barney Fife was a clear example of the American man in the late 1950s and 1960s. He truly loved his best friend, co-worker, and cousin, Andy Taylor, and would have willingly killed himself to defend Andy, and honestly probably would have done that on accident. He loved his town and all the people in his town and knew them all by name. Barney was a church-going and church-loving man who took what the preachers had to say seriously, and after the workday was over, Barney could relax and sit on Andy or Thelma Lou's porch and just let the world pass him by. That, That reminds me, there's one particular scene that always cracks me up, and Andy and Barney are sitting on the front porch, and Barney is telling Andy what he plans to do that evening. And he says, well, I think I'm going to go over to Thelma Lou's house, watch that new Ralph Emery movie on television, and go grab a bite to eat and go home. Andy says, okay. He goes, yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to Thelma Lou's, watch that new Ralph Emery movie on TV, and get a little bit for supper. All right. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Anyway, you need to watch it for yourself. It's a great time. But the next morning after sitting on that porch with Andy and Thelma Lou, he would be more ready than anyone in the entire state of North Carolina to take on the world. America at its peak can be found within the Mayberry city limits, being vigilantly guarded by the nervous and wiry Barney Fife. 
Mayberry has often been criticized that it was a fairy tale place. However, I personally think that that criticism comes from places other than rural areas. America was once characterized by small towns in which everyone knew each other. The church and the courthouse were the center of everyone's life. And the morning commute to work was a 10-minute walk from your front porch to your place of employment. An hour drive to Raleigh was unheard of, and it was just a once-in-a-while thing, maybe once-in-a-year thing. And it required getting dressed in a suit, hopping in the sedan, and going for an all-day easy car ride over the North Carolina mountains. If someone, anyone in the town was in need of help, whether it was the town drunk Otis Campbell, or whether it was the mayor, or whether it was Andy or Barney themselves, everyone in the town came to the rescue. Andy and Barney were not first responders. They were what we used to call keepers of the peace. The term first responders came in the Jimmy Carter administration to describe the police and the firefighters. And while on this podcast, we honor and uphold and revere firefighters and police officers, they are not first responders. You are the first responder, and that is on full display in the Andy Griffith Show. The insured, uh, I'm sorry, they insured, meaning Andy and Barney, they insured the law was held and executed, but with common sense, generally coming from Andy, and an understanding of the people. This concept is not a pipe dream. It's not a fairy tale. This is the way America used to operate. To borrow a line from Andy Griffith, America has gotten above a raisin. America was born and raised in small church-going towns, but over the past couple of decades has really lost herself into the big cities among puffed-up lawyers, politicians, TV preachers, and ill-gotten gain. The Andy Griffith Show, starring Jesse Don Knotts, still to this day, is aired somewhere in the world multiple times a day, every single day. The Andy Griffith Show, and specifically Don Knotts, had an enormous impact on American culture, and in really in multiple ways. Uh, the character Barney Fife was lovable. He was, he was feisty, but every, everybody understood him for who he was. Nobody, people got aggravated with him, and he certainly got aggravated with everybody else, meaning the character Barney Fife. But at the end of the day, at the end of the show... Everybody was understanding and everybody was friends. And the reason being, yes, it was Hollywood. Yes, it was a TV show. And I get that. And I recognize that. However, church and your town, that is a community. The, the idea of the community has somewhat been erased from American culture and something that I think we need to get back to soon. The commute, the hour commute was never something that defined America really up until maybe the 1980s, 1990s. I honestly don't know. I wasn't alive then. But just given the evidence that we can see in place and talking to your grandparents, if, if you're lucky enough to have your grandparents around still, talk to them. Ask them what life was like. Ask them what the culture was like before all this madness ensued, really in the, in the 1990s is when everything really started to go into warp speed. But Mayberry and the Andy Griffith show really showcase what America was all about from the very beginning. Slow, careful, 
quiet. We go to church on Sunday, and Sunday is a rest day. Sundays are not rest days anymore, even for church-going people. You know, we like to say that Sunday is a day of rest, but, um, you know, and I know that, you know, that comes from, you know, the Sabbath day and all that, but, you know, Sunday is no longer, Sunday is sometimes one of the busiest days of the week, and that's not the way things were intended to be, certainly not in American culture. American culture is, uh, you know, at least it used to be, was a quiet and peaceful life. It was the idea that I could be left alone and chart my own course, just like Jesse Don Knotts did. Nobody bothered him or told him that he couldn't do it. Or I'm sure they, there was plenty of people that told him he couldn't do it. But he had the peace and the, and the drive to do what he thought needed to be done. And don't let people tell you that, you know, yes, the culture has begun to rot. But the reason it's begun to rot is because decent people no longer go to Hollywood for fear of being changed by it. And understand what I just said there. The fear of. The fear. People, good, decent people that honestly have good mooring and good a good foundation beneath them. Yes, they can be changed. Yes, they can be co-opted. But it's pretty rare. Usually what you see is you see kids that have good parents, good strong homes, good foundations growing up to to change the culture around them. And while Don Knotts did not have that solid foundation from his father, um, he directly influenced the culture in such a way that American culture can look at him and look what he did as a man and say, hey, I can do that. And I can do that as a decent person and directly affect the culture myself. You know, in in Genesis chapter 3, God gives man the responsibility of taking care of the garden. And that was our job as man was to tend the garden. I say our job, Adam's job, Adam and Eve's job was to tend the garden and to keep it up and keep it in shape. But over the past several decades, in the United States in particular, we've seen a exodus of good, decent people and Christian people from the culture. Music is no longer something that you can listen to with your kids in the car. Are you kidding? Cardi B, Lizzo, I mean, McDonald's is trying to make Cardi B into something she's not by this, they got a stinking Happy Meal now. It's the Lizzo and um, and uh, Offset meal. Like, this is McDonald's. This is a family place, and they have nothing to go on except for two very immoral people. But the culture the culture can change, but it's going to require good people and honest people and loving, Christian, caring people like you getting involved in that culture. We cannot just say, well, you know, if we get involved, then there's a good chance that I'm going to lose my soul to the devil. Okay. Well, what's the alternative then? The alternative is what we've seen the past 50 years, 60 years, where politics and Hollywood and the music industry, all three of those very important and critical pieces of culture have been given up to heathens, absolute godless, immoral people. And the culture is suffering. It is, it is weak because of it. 
it's rotting to the core. In fact, I just saw uh, a couple days ago where the dictionary has started adding words that are just made up words and they're horrible words and they mean nothing. But it's a bellwether, it's a canary in the coal mine that, hey, everybody, you need to pay attention because your culture is rotting to the core. Your language is changing. Your language is is not what it used to be. Your language is, is turning into something it's not. Don Knotts, he was able to, to get involved in culture. And while I don't know, I, I haven't really gotten too far into the research yet to determine whether or not he was a, as a person, was a religious man or a Christian man, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Still doing my homework on that. But regardless, he was still a decent man and a good man. And his involvement in the culture did not result in immorality and, and stupidity and, and sexual chaos. His involvement in the culture was children. You know, a lot of these movies, Disney movies, and even even Andy Griffith. I could, I have no issue watching Andy Griffith with my two-year-old and my wife. Andy Griffith is just a wholesome TV show that cannot be produced. That kind of TV show, that kind of culture cannot be produced by a godless people. Certainly not by a society devoid of Christianity. The, the culture that was prevalent and in, in really up until the 19, early 1960s, very quickly after that, we started to, it started to kind of get out from underneath us. But the, the culture that Don Knotts helped produce was a wholesome, family-centered, God-fearing family, or, uh, culture. And that is truthfully under attack. Uh, under attack. The, the culture that Don Knotts helped to create is is under direct attack. And I know that's a lot of times that it's taken as hyperbole or that, hey, Gordon, I, really under attack, I think that's a bit much. Oh, well, I don't know what else you call it. It's being dismantled daily. Uh, and we there's several news stories that have come out in the past week of, you know, whether it's the Cardi B and Offset deal with McDonald's or if it's, you know, the, um, the Oscars and the movie that, you know, that they're um, giving Best Picture to. The past 10 years, nobody has even seen the movie that they have awarded Best Picture. But the reason they award it Best Picture is because it's a, it's a woke dumpster fire. And it's propaganda and it, and it helps push the narrative. Folks, that's not culture. That's not that's not culture and government of the people by the people for the people. That 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 phrase is not just for Washington D.C. and politics. It's culture of the people by the people for the people. The culture should reflect the market, and it currently doesn't. And it's being propped up by by artificial means, by artificial money. And it, you know, the culture is, it is rotting, no doubt, it's rotting, but it can be saved. And as your, as your neighbor and your little community called Percolating Perspective, as your neighbor, I'm here to encourage you that the culture is not lost. In fact, I think we've seen several things in the past six to eight months that have indicated otherwise. 
Andrew Breitbart from Breitbart.com back, you know, 10, 15 years ago had a saying um, that he that he would say a lot, and that was that culture is upstream of politics. And what he meant by that was, is as goes the culture, as goes the you know politics, as goes Washington D.C. And what we're seeing is a lot of very unusual changes from what we're used to seeing in the past 10 or 15 years. And I mean that in a positive way. There's still a lot of bad stuff going on too, but there's a lot of good stuff going on. And you know, a couple of indicators of that are number one, uh, recently this past week, we had a story out of, I think it was actually Breitbart, where Rain Wilson, uh, who infamously played Dwight Schrute on The Office, another amazing piece of American culture, uh, we might actually talk about that one day. The Office would be a, that'd be a great episode. But Dwight Schrute, uh, I'm sorry, Rain Wilson, that played Dwight Schrute, he made the observation that he was watching a movie on HBO, and forgive me, I don't know the name because I don't care about it because it's a, I'm sure it's Woke Dumpster Fire also. Um, he said that as soon as he saw one of the characters start quoting the Bible, he instantly knew that it was going to be the bad guy and that he was tired of it and it was predictable. And he's 100% right. He made the comment, is it possible for somebody to read the Bible, love the Bible, and, and quote scripture and not be a the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? And while, you know, while all of us in, in, in modern America or in, in the daily grind look at his comments and go, yeah, duh, where you been, Rain? It's fascinating to me that people like him who are in their own little Hollywood bubble are starting to recognize that. And that should give you hope. It should give you hope that a culture that would look like Mayberry, Andy Griffith, and specifically Don Knotts in his legacy is achievable, and I think in somewhat the short term. But it's going to take you as a good Christian, God-fearing person to get involved in the culture. And yes, going to church is absolutely important, and that's something that you should do, and something that my family does three times a week. And that's not—I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm just trying to give you an example that it can be done. Going to church is is a very important thing, but that's only part of your duty as a Christian and as a good, decent American. The other part of your duty is making sure that the culture that defends the church and defends the right to worship stays in place and is held blameless and harmless. Currently, our culture is hostile towards that. But you can get involved. If you have a talent for songwriting, write, write songs. Get involved in the culture. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, nirvana or, you know, anything else. In fact, I would encourage it not to be. We're going to do an episode, I think, next week on Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra had an enormous impact on the culture and music. You have people like Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, John Wayne, all these people that were enormously impactful in American culture. And they were not liberals. They were not pansies. They were not, you know... These these guys that like we have nowadays that all they know they don't even know how to change their own tire, but they know how to act like somebody who changes their own tire. You know, culture can be fixed, culture can be changed, and it's not something where 
culture is not like a car where it breaks down in the middle of the road and it has it requires expertise to to fix it and get it back up on the road. Culture is a living thing. It's a it's a breathing thing. It's like a tree or a plant or even a person. It can get sick and it will get sick if it has parasites and bacteria get into it. It can be damaged permanently. But it, it requires a lot for it to actually be killed. I believe what we're seeing right now in our culture is a sick culture, but not a dead culture, not a rotten culture. We are seeing a, we are seeing a culture that has COVID-19. No pun intended. We are seeing a culture that needs a remedy. It needs a doctor and it needs nurses, and it needs help getting back on its feet and getting out of the bed. But it requires you to be the doctor, and it requires you to be the nurse, and that requires you making a conscious effort to not only be a good and decent person, to be a God-fearing person, and you know, at the very least a moral person, and somebody who treats others with respect and dignity, but it requires you getting involved. And it, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean politics. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But if you have a talent that can, you know, affect the culture, use it. But just remember where you came from when you do that. And remember the why behind it. American culture is something that is precious. And it's something that the world has never seen before. American culture is... It's all about the individual. It's all about one man can make a difference, which has been the theme of this year's podcast worth of episodes. Can one man make a difference was our first episode this year, and that is the theme of this show this year, is yes, one man can make a difference. And really and truthfully, that is the story of America. That's one of the things that makes her such a beautiful and unique place. America, never lose hope. Never lose hope that things will change for the better. Never lose hope that you, as an individual person who may feel like that you have nothing to offer, absolutely can make a difference. America needs you. America needs all of us in an individual capacity and a group capacity. But never forget what Don Knotts was able to accomplish as one person. Never forget that Don Knotts, though his upbringing was rocky and by most people's metrics, horrible. And, you know, even though that his stature was not John Wayne-esque and his voice was not Dean Martin-esque, he had a very high-pitched nasally voice, was maybe 120 pounds soaking wet, and maybe not necessarily moved like Fred Astaire. But he personally deeply affected the culture and, and, and maybe not changed it, but propagated it. He furthered it along. He, he, he nourished it. Never forget that you can do that and you can play a part in that also. America, I love you. America, you can make a difference. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, I dearly love your coffee. 
Don't forget to check out HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Get yourself a $10 bag of Nicaragua Cafe Diego SHG. You will not be disappointed, I promise you. In fact, you could order pretty much anything off of that website, and, you, and I promise you, you won't be disappointed. America, until next week, I love you. Take care of yourself. God bless.